This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day, welcome to episode 25 of AFF On Air and happy Black Friday and Cyber Monday weekend. It's Saturday the 30th of November 2019 and I'm your host Matt Graham. Coming up in today's episode... Why the British Airways Executive Club program could be a good alternative to Qantas Frequent Flyer. Ride-sharing service Uber launches its own rewards program. And how to get one-way international flights that don't cost more than the price of a return ticket. That's coming up later in the episode, but first, let's take a look at what's making news in the world of airlines and frequent flyer points this fortnight. And BP will end its partnership with Velocity Frequent Flyer on the 31st of January 2020 to make way for a new partnership between BP and Qantas Frequent Flyer from the 1st of February next year. From February 2020, you'll have the choice of earning either BP Rewards Points or Qantas Frequent Flyer Points directly when buying fuel or making in-store purchases from BP petrol stations. The ACCC last week gave interim approval for parts of the agreement between BP and Qantas to go ahead, and a final decision is expected in uh, the coming months. Qantas is considering launching new benefits beyond lifetime gold status to reward customers that are loyal over a long period of time. The new perks would be aimed at encouraging people to keep flying with Qantas even if they've already earned lifetime gold, but lifetime platinum is out of reach for them. Given the gargantuan difference in the number of status credits needed between Lifetime Gold and Lifetime Platinum, this is probably a necessary step. Ideas being floated include new Lifetime benefits or upon reaching certain Lifetime status credit thresholds, or even a status credit superannuation account that lets you bank your status credits for future years. It's now possible to upgrade on selected Delta Airlines flights using Velocity Frequent Flyer Points. If you've booked on any Delta-operated flight which is a Virgin Australia code share, so that is with a VA flight number, you'll be able to upgrade subject to reward seat availability on the Delta flight by calling the Velocity Contact Centre. Upgrades are available on Delta's flights between Sydney and Los Angeles, as well as on several dozen routes within the USA and Mexico if you've booked in conjunction with a Virgin Australia coded flight between Sydney and the US or Australia and the US even. All Velocity members can upgrade on those flights within North America, provided the the, uh, code share flight is booked, but upgrades on Trans-Pacific flights are limited to gold and platinum Velocity members booked on an economy freedom fare or a premium economy ticket, which is the same as what you need to upgrade on Virgin Australia's own flights. All Nippon Airways, the Japanese Star Alliance carrier, which will soon become a Virgin Australia partner, will add a second daily flight between Sydney and Tokyo's Haneda Airport from the end of March 2020. Meanwhile, Japan Airlines will switch its daily Sydney-Narita flight to Haneda Airport from the same date. Qantas is yet to reveal what it plans to do with its newly acquired slot at Haneda Airport. It will either add a second daily Sydney-Haneda frequency or launch flights from Melbourne to Haneda. LATAM Airlines has confirmed that it will leave the One World Alliance on the 1st of October 2020. 
You'll continue to receive One World benefits on LATAM Airlines until then, but after October next year, you'll no longer be able to use LATAM as part of a One World Award ticket or a One World Explorer Around the World ticket. LATAM will remain a Qantas partner airline, so you'll still be able to earn and redeem Qantas points for LATAM flights going forward. But you won't be able to earn Qantas status credits on flights with an LA flight number after the airline leaves One World. You also won't receive One World status benefits like lounge access once LATAM is no longer in One World. So the loss of LATAM from One World is quite a big blow for travellers to South America. The Qantas A380 refurbishment program has been a big win-win for both passengers and the airline. With Qantas's new A380 configuration, the airline is now earning an average of 7% more revenue from every flight thanks to a higher number of passengers in the premium cabins. The reconfigured Qantas A380 features 70 business class seats, which is up from 64, and there are also now 60 premium economy seats, which is a substantial increase. Qantas was able to add 25 more premium economy seats by removing the mini economy cabin at the rear of the plane's upper deck and blocking off one exit door. That said, Qantas is having some serious problems with its A380s at the moment. Last week, a third of Qantas's entire A380 fleet was out of service, with two aircraft currently undergoing refurbishment, and a further two planes were out of service with damage or mechanical faults. A number of flights have had to be cancelled or delayed significantly over the past week as a result, including some flights to Dallas, Fort Worth and London. Qantas has taken steps to improve the priority boarding experience for frequent flyers and business class passengers with a, and I quote here, enhanced premium boarding experience, which was rolled out at six major Australian airports last Monday. Under the new priority boarding system, Qantas will now make sure that everyone in the priority queue has had a chance to board before general boarding has started, rather than boarding both lines simultaneously, which, well, defeats the whole point of priority boarding. Qantas staff have also been instructed to police the priority lane better, turning away passengers that are not entitled to use it, although by some reports um, not all staff have actually been doing this. Priority boarding has been an advertised benefit for gold, platinum and platinum one frequent flyers as well as business class passengers for years with Qantas. But Qantas has never really made a serious effort of actually making this system work for domestic flights until this week. Virgin Australia has been doing priority boarding very well, meanwhile, for many years. Black Friday sales are on again, I'm sure you no doubt have heard, and many airlines are also getting in on the action. Air China currently has some great business class airfares available from Germany to Australia and New Zealand, starting at around $2,400 Australian dollars return yeah, for business class, which is a great deal, although availability is a bit limited. There's also currently a price war going on for flights from Australia to Los Angeles and San Francisco. Virgin Australia, Delta, United and American Airlines all currently have flights available from Sydney and Melbourne to Los Angeles for under $900 return. For example, United Airlines has a flight available from Melbourne to Los Angeles for $881 return. Fiji Airways, Air New Zealand and Qantas have also got some good deals on at the moment to the United States. Finally, the Berlin or Airport Authority has announced that the new Berlin-Brandenburg Airport, or BER, will open on the 31st of October 2020. 
Regular listeners to this podcast will have no doubt heard me talking about this airport before. The Berlin-Brandenburg Airport was supposed to open originally in March 2011, yep, eight years ago, Um, but it has been plagued by poor management, corruption, and scandal after scandal, poor construction, and the list goes on, Uh, while construction costs, meanwhile, have blown out to be now more than 10 times the original quoted price. The opening date for this airport has been pushed back now so many times already that I'm quite sceptical that BER will actually open in October next year. Although the airport is uh, making a rather firm commitment to airlines that it does actually intend to open, so I guess we'll have to watch this space. If the airport does open in October next year, it is possible that Berlin's Tegel Airport, the main current airport, will close around a week later. But again, I'll have to believe it when I see it. If you're interested in learning more about the history of this airport, there's a really interesting four-part podcast in English called How to F Up an Airport, and it's by Radio Spiekhoff. That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates, and deals, subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. Australians join the Qantas Frequent Flyer program by default. It's a logical choice, with Qantas being the largest airline in Australia, and of course with the sheer amount of opportunities to earn Qantas points on the ground and with credit cards in Australia. But if you're a frequent flyer, the grass could be greener on the other side. And I'm not talking here about Virgin Australia or Velocity Frequent Flyer. Even if you fly often with Qantas, and even if it's your main airline, you don't necessarily have to credit all of your flights to the Qantas Frequent Flyer program and earn Qantas points and status credits. If you're flying often with lots of other One World Airlines as well, it could make more sense to use the British Airways Executive Club program. Now, I'll start off by saying that British Airways doesn't technically allow Australian or New Zealand residents to join the Executive Club program, but there are some easy ways to get around this. For example, you could list the address of an overseas friend or relative, or you could, you know, conveniently how, forget how to spell Australia and tell BA that you live in a country that uh, borders uh, Germany and Switzerland. Not that I told you that. Um, but uh, yeah, there are a few reasons if you did want to join that you might want to make the switch to BA. Um, and a lot of these have to do with status. Now, firstly, BA does not penalize you for flying with other One World Airlines in the same way that Qantas does. Now, just to give you an example, if you're flying with Malaysia Airlines from Sydney to London and back in business class, not only will Qantas award you status credits and points at flexible economy rates rather than the actual business class rate, but there's also a significantly reduced rate that applies to Malaysia Airlines flights um, on those routes. So with Qantas, you'd be earning, I think it's around 180 status credits for that round trip. Whereas if you were to credit the exact same flights to the British Airways Executive Club program, you'd earn 600 tier points, which is enough to reach the equivalent of Qantas gold status. So it's around, well, more than three times the earn rate um, over at British Airways. And that's just one example. Uh, The other thing with British Airways is that um, they do have better benefits for very frequent flyers. Now, if you earn status with uh, British Airways, that is uh, going to earn you One World status, which you can use when you fly with Qantas and other One World airlines. Um, But in addition to, like, so Qantas has Platinum One status, but British Airways has what it calls Gold Guest List. And these are additional benefits for frequent flyers that are earning additional tier points beyond the requirements for Gold status in a year. 
And keep in mind, British Airways gold status is the equivalent of Qantas Platinum or uh, One World Emerald. And there are some very, very decent benefits available. For example, if you earn 2,500 tier points in a year, you get a gold upgrade for two voucher. Uh, at 3,500 tier points, you get uh, two gold upgrade for one vouchers. And at 5,000 tier points, you get a Concord Room card. If you earn 5,000 tier points in a year, you also receive gold guest list benefits. This entitles you to give away one gold executive club partner card and two silver cards. So that's basically the equivalent of one Qantas platinum and two Qantas gold cards um, in the one world equivalents. You can also book up to five reward seats twice per year on flights that don't have reward seats available in any cabin class, um, as long as there's availability in certain revenue fare classes. And these are known as jokers. You also get extra guest allowances at uh, British Airways lounges, including arrivals lounges, complimentary Hilton Diamond status, and dedicated 24-7 phone service. And once you've earned gold guest list in one year, you'll only need 3,000 tier points to renew this in subsequent years. Now, another reason to use British Airways is that um, they have a pretty reasonable requirement for earning what uh, lifetime British Airways gold status. So that's the equivalent of, um, again, One World Emerald or Qantas Platinum status. With British Airways, you only need to earn 35,000 tier points. Uh, a tier point is roughly equivalent to a status credit. Now, with Qantas, it's 75,000 status credits, which is just ridiculous. Now, to earn British Airways status, you do need to take a minimum of two... Um, British Airways uh, coded flights per year to earn bronze or four British Airways flights to earn silver or gold status um, during each membership year. But even if you live in Australia and even if you don't travel to Europe, um, even at all, it is still possible to do this. British Airways flies every day from Sydney to Singapore um, using its own aircraft. And if you're traveling from somewhere in Australia other than Sydney, for example, Melbourne, you can book a British Airways coded flight between Melbourne and Sydney um, in conjunction with that ticket to Singapore. So a simple round trip from Melbourne to Singapore um, booked with British Airways each year is, is sufficient to meet that requirement. There are some disadvantages if you're mainly flying Qantas with using British Airways. For example, um, you can only upgrade on Qantas operated flights using actual Qantas points. Um, so if you're earning British Airways Avios, you might not be able to use those upgrades on Qantas flights. That said, you can, of course, redeem the Avios, which is the currency of the British Airways Executive Club program for Qantas reward seats. Um, also, it's worth mentioning, though, that this may change in the future. One World is considering some changes to how upgrades work across the alliance, so I guess we'll have to stay tuned with that. But um, that is one possible downside. Now, in general, when it comes to the currency of British Airways Executive Club, Avios, um, it's very, very good value for short-haul flights, um, but not so good for long-haul flights. Um, so if you're redeeming British Airways Avios for like maybe short flights within Australia, Sydney to Melbourne, Canberra to Brisbane, that kind of thing, uh, it is very, very good value with Avios. 6,000 Avios for an economy seat or 12,500 Avios for business class on flights of up to uh, 650 miles. And for other short haul zones, it's um, also quite good value. Unfortunately, with uh, long haul flights, Avios is not such good value. Um, that said, there is an exception, and that's the British Airways One World Multi-Carrier Reward, which is priced surprisingly well if you book a multi-city trip that involves at least two One World Airlines other than Qantas. 
Now, this is similar to the Qantas One World Award, which is quite popular, although the British Airways uh, Award is not quite as generous and it's also a bit more difficult to book. You can't book this online. With the British Airways Award, you can get up to eight flight sectors in total. Um, but interestingly, the price is based on the class of travel that's used for the longest flight on the booking. Uh, so there's a, a, a bit of a loophole there. Now, it's worth noting that there are other One World Airlines that also offer these kind of One World multi-carrier awards, which you, which, which you can use to fly around the world um, at quite a reasonable price. So Qantas obviously has the One World Award, but there's also Cathay Pacific Asia Miles, which is also quite popular. And Japan Airlines, Finnair and Iberia in the One World Alliance also have this. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the British Airways Executive Club program, I've linked a couple of articles in the episode notes. Uh, one's on earning British Airways Executive Club status, and the other one has some more information on the One World Multi-Carrier Reward. I would also invite you to come along to the upcoming Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar, which is about One World Alternatives to the Qantas Frequent Flyer program. This webinar will look in depth at the British Airways Executive Club program, as well as Cathay Pacific Asia Miles and American Airlines Advantage with a focus on how Australians can take advantage of these programs. The webinar will take place at 8pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on the 11th of December, so that's Wednesday next week. And I'll post a link of, uh, to some more information about the webinar in the episode notes, so be sure to check that out if you're interested, and I hope to see you then. I'll be back with more after this short break. Did you know that you can get more from your Australian Frequent Flyer membership by upgrading to Silver or Gold membership? For just $50 a year, Silver members see no advertisements on the vast majority of community forum pages. And for only $75 a year, in addition, Gold members can receive discounted travel goods and services valued at over $400 a year, including discounts on Qantas Club, NordVPN, Expert Flyer, and more. Most importantly, by upgrading your Australian Frequent Fly membership, though, you'll be supporting the website and this podcast. For more information, visit australianfrequentflyer.com.au forward slash upgrade. The ride-sharing service Uber has announced that it is now trialling its new Uber Rewards loyalty program in Australia. The program is now being trialled, but it will be rolled out in full early next year. And at the same time, Qantas is making some changes to how Qantas points are earned with Uber. And there are some positive and negative changes here. You'll soon be able to earn Qantas points for all Uber rides, as well as Uber Eats orders, which is good news because at the moment you can currently only earn Qantas points on rides between um, eligible Australian airports. Um... But there is also some bad news because the number of points that uh, Silver, Gold, Platinum and Platinum 1 members of the Qantas Frequent Flyer program will earn on Uber rides to or from the airport is being reduced. And these changes come into effect from the 13th of December. Um, but uh, nonetheless, the Uber Rewards program is quite an interesting development. The, um, with Uber Rewards, you'll have the option of converting your Uber Rewards points to Qantas Frequent Flyer points, which is good news. And there'll also be some other ways to redeem your Uber Rewards points. And you can earn points on all rides, so it's quite interesting, although the value is somewhat questionable. So with the Uber Rewards program, you'll earn points for every dollar spent on uh 
on Uber Rides, you'll earn one point per dollar on Uber Pool and Uber Eats, two points per dollar on Uber X, Uber XL, Uber Comfort and Assist, or three points per dollar spent on Uber Premium Rides. After seven, after you've earned 750 Uber points, you'll have the option then to redeem those points for a range of different rewards. Um, and 750 Uber rewards points is going to be worth 200 Qantas points. So that means basically that you're earning the equivalent of uh, about half a Qantas point per dollar spent on Uber X rides. And on Uber Eats orders, you'll be earning about 0.27 Qantas points per dollar spent. Now, if you want to uh, convert your Uber rewards points to Qantas points, there's another catch as well. The benefit will only be available to gold, platinum, and diamond members of the Uber rewards scheme. Yeah, that's right. Uber rewards is going to have status levels. Uh, I don't think priority boarding will be one of the benefits, though. (laughs) To achieve gold status, you would need to earn at least 1,200 Uber rewards points, uh, and that's when you can start to transfer your points over to Qantas. Uh, and once the status tier is earned with the program, you'll uh, get to keep it for six months unless you earn enough points to requalify uh, during those following six months. Um, there are some benefits of the status tiers, like um, certain discounts and uh, upgrades and things like that. But um, on the whole, it's probably not going to be a huge development unless um, you're, Uber, you're already using Uber quite regularly anyway. But yeah, with the new SIM, I don't think it's really going to be worth going out of your way to use Uber for the Qantas points, especially um, when you can already earn a flat one velocity point per dollar spent, which increases to two velocity points per dollar spent on rides to the airport uh, when you're using Ola. It's interesting to see how the ride sharing industry has taken off around the world and ride sharing nowadays has become a welcome and quite well used alternative to taxis, much to the disgust of course of the taxi industry. Um, but the ride-sharing apps are convenient, and the rating systems that are there keep both the drivers and passengers on their toes. And Uber nowadays is operating in almost every country. There are, of course, many also competing ride-sharing services that have emerged. In Australia, we now have Ola, which partners with Velocity Frequent Flyer, and there's also now Didi. In the US, there's Lyft. In Asia, you've got Grab. There's also Bolt, which uh, used to be Taxify, which mainly operates in Europe, North America, Africa, and the Middle East. And there's a whole bunch of ride-sharing services that have also now emerged, which are exclusively for women and only have female drivers, which is another interesting niche. Interestingly, Uber has never actually made a profit. Last quarter, it lost, in fact, $5 billion US dollars. That said, Uber keeps telling investors that the core business is in fact profitable and that the company would stop losing money if it stopped trying to grow aggressively. Uber has run into some legal problems. The company recently lost its license to operate in London, for example, which is um, not the first time this has happened. Um, But Uber is appealing the decision by Transport for London. And while it is appealing the decision, it is still allowed to continue operating. So go figure. The uh, issues in London relate to Uber failing to um, prevent unauthorized drivers from picking up passengers, including some drivers who were previously suspended by Uber but simply created a new account, something that was way too easy to do, and also some drivers who were unlicensed and uninsured. Uber has also been forced out of uh, several other European cities, either due to protests from local taxi drivers or because Uber was unwilling to meet the demands of local authorities, which was the case in Denmark, for example. 
personally, my Uber experiences have mostly been positive. Um, and it's now definitely my preferred option over taxis. I've had, um, certainly overseas anyway, my fair share of taxi drivers that have tried to rip me off by not using the meter or going the long way or, you know, and so on. With Uber and uh, with the app and the GPS tracking that is uh, used, it's quite difficult to do this. But Uber still is not foolproof. Last week, I was in India where Ola is actually much bigger than Uber, and um, I needed to get from my hotel in Jaipur to the airport. I first tried using Ola, but um, after accepting the job, my driver then drove away from the hotel for five minutes um, and seemed to have no intention of actually picking me up, so I cancelled and, uh, and opened up the Uber app. Now, my Uber driver turned up within a few minutes, but for some reason, the app wasn't letting him start the ride. He was trying to um, uh, tap the start trip button, but he kept getting an error message and the app wouldn't let him do it. And I'm not sure exactly what the problem was because his um, his phone was in Hindi, but um, we tried troubleshooting for a few minutes. Um, we, we tried um, lots of different things, but it just, no matter what we did, it would not let him start the ride. So... I eventually had to cancel the trip, but I still needed to get to the airport. So I just offered the driver the equivalent of the Uber price in cash if he would just drive me to the airport, and he agreed. Uh, perhaps that was a bit naive of me, but anyway. Um, a bit of a strange start to the trip, but that's not even the strangest part. About two-thirds of the way to the airport, this driver of mine ran a red light and got pulled over by the police. The policeman asked to see this guy's license, and it turns out that he didn't even have one. The driver and the policeman then had a very, very lively discussion in Hindi, which unfortunately I couldn't understand, that lasted about five minutes. The driver seemed to be begging the policeman to let him off, and at the end of the conversation, the driver slipped some rupees to the policeman, and we were free to go, and I eventually made it to the airport. Uh, goodness me, I'd hate to think what would have happened if there'd been an accident because I'm pretty sure this guy wasn't insured either. But um, oh, anyway, I did make it. Thankfully, um, most of my experiences with both Uber and Ola while in India and uh, everywhere else have been quite good. But uh, that was really quite bizarre and concerning. Anyway, what's your experience with Uber been like? Are you a fan of ride-sharing services or do you prefer taxis? And do you think you'll use the new Uber Rewards program? Let me know your thoughts in the AFF on Air discussion thread. This fortnight, I've got a question from an AFF member with the handle Mr. Isolated. Uh, and this person asked, Hi Matt, thanks for answering my question on a previous podcast. I have another. Firstly, you're welcome. Um, my partner and I are hoping to head over to Winnipeg, Canada from Perth. We have enough Qantas points to fly business class, probably to San Francisco or Chicago late next year. My predicament is that the return flights uh, booked as a one-way are about the same price as round-trip flights. Uh, we could fly back return in economy using points, but that's no fun. So do you have any suggestions on how to get a decent one-way airfare for the return trip? Well, that's quite a common problem because, yeah, one-way international airfares are often just as expensive, if not more expensive, than return tickets. And the reason for this is that the, um, the discounted return tickets usually have certain requirements, such as minimum or maximum stays. And when you're booking a one-way ticket, um, the airline doesn't actually know how long you're staying um, or even that you're going to be flying back on the same airline. So they, they exclude those cheaper fares that have those fare rules from being available to you. Now, the obvious solution here is um, 
just to use points to come back, even if it means flying economy on the way home, or if it means maybe buying some more points. Um, there, is, there are airlines that will sell points, and with Qantas you can buy top-up points or um, even purchase wine from Qantas Wines that um, have some very generous amounts of bonus points attached, and that can actually work out um, cheaper than purchasing the top-up points outright. Um, but I realize that that's not necessarily a viable option. So there are two other ways to make this work. Now, if you think you're going to be going back to Canada within a year of your upcoming trip, you could purchase a return ticket from Winnipeg to Perth and then use the return leg of that ticket as the start of another trip in the future. And by the time you take that second trip, you hopefully you'll have saved up enough points to be able to book the one-way flights back home from that second trip in business class. If you don't want to do that, another option would be to use low-cost airlines because low-cost airlines don't charge that premium for flying one way. Now, in your case, coming from North America to Australia, the logical option would be to find your way to Honolulu on a cheap ticket, maybe with WestJet, for example. And then from Honolulu, you can pick up a Jetstar flight to Australia. Economy tickets with Jetstar from Honolulu to Australia are sometimes as low as two or $300 one way. Um, or you could even go business class, which on Jetstar is really just premium economy, but um, it's quite a reasonable price on that route, even as a one-way booking. Yeah, yes, I do realize it's Jetstar, and yes, Jetstar is not that great, I know, um, but it's a reasonably easy daytime flight from uh, Hawaii to Australia that leaves in the morning, so it's not too bad. Um, you'll have to obviously purchase more than one ticket here, Um to get you know one ticket to get to Honolulu and another ticket from Honolulu to Australia um, so I would recommend in this case breaking up the trip with at least one night in Hawaii just in case there's any delays to your inbound flights from Canada but hey there are definitely worse places to spend a bit of time than Hawaii this fortnight I've also received a question by email from the AFF member Rubix who says uh, hi Matt first of all thanks for your articles on AFF plenty of great stuff in there that I always read Thank you so much. I'm a pro golfer and I have VA Platinum status. That's Virgin Australia Velocity Platinum. Um, so I asked Chris Flyer to status match me to Elite Gold, which they did, um, in order to open up more options for travel to Asia and Europe with Star Alliance outside of Virgin Australia's deals with Etihad and Singapore Airlines. Uh, this person says that they've just booked a Virgin Australia flight um, domestic flight from Brisbane to Sydney, and they found that it did not count towards um, elite miles with Chris Flyer. Only their award miles were earned on their Chris Flyer account. Is this correct? Uh, now, Rubik's, yes, unfortunately, that is correct. So when you're flying with Virgin Australia on a VA-coded flight, you can earn Chris Flyer miles, and you can, if you have elite status with uh, Singapore Airlines, you can use those benefits when you're flying with Virgin Australia. But you won't earn any elite miles which count towards requalification for Chris Flyer status. Now, the only way to earn uh, elite miles on Virgin Australia flights is um, if you're booked on a Singapore Airlines code share. Now, whether whether a Singapore Airlines code share exists on the flight um, is not relevant here. What's relevant is that you're booked on that flight, on the SQ flight number. And the only way to do that is to book it in conjunction with a Singapore Airlines flight, which involves Singapore. So if you're just traveling from Brisbane to Sydney, um, unfortunately, you won't be able to do that. Now that said, if you're using other Star Alliance airlines like Thai Airways or um, ANA or any of the other Star Alliance airlines, 
um, you can earn Chris Flyer Elite miles for those flights as long as you're in an, uh, a fair, you're booked in a fair class that is eligible to earn miles. So that's one way. But uh, yes, unfortunately, that is one of the limitations of um, going for Chris Flyer status over velocity status if you live in Australia and fly quite a lot on Virgin Australia. Um, and of course, if you're flying on Singapore Airlines, you do earn status credits on velocity. So it's a bit annoying that it doesn't work in the other direction, but it's just the way it is. I have so... I hope you're able to find a find a solution that works for you, Rubix. But um, yeah, that's that's how it is. I'm afraid. I hope that answers your question. Um, before I go, also just a quick shout out to the AFF member Melworld, who says another thumbs up for the podcast. I really enjoy it. Among my other various podcasts each fortnight, it's really applicable to the Australian traveller, obviously. But that's what makes it so useful. I do find that you tend to favor One World and Qantas more than Star Alliance and Sky Team. How about an episode on their round-the-world opportunities and availability, um, realizing there are a few Sky Team options out of Australia? Uh, and yes, Mel World, it is true that I do spend probably more time talking about One World and Qantas, but that's because um, they are more prominent in Australia and more popular among Australian frequent flyers, given that Qantas and, um, is the only alliance-based airline which is based in Australia. Um, I have talked a bit about Star Alliance in a few episodes, but I do agree that I could spend some more time talking about Star Alliance and Sky Team, so I'll consider your suggestion for a future episode. If you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the next episode, you can ask uh, on the AFF on Air discussion thread, or if you have any feedback, that's also welcome, of course. And that's all for another episode of AFF on Air. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes where you'll also find uh, a link to that AFF on air discussion thread I was just talking about. If you enjoy the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you might be listening. This would help us enormously, so I would really appreciate that. I'm Matt Graham and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, as always, happy flying.